Did you know that BDSM and kink are healthy outlets for aggression, imagination, and attention? Hi, welcome to The Partition, home of kinky wellness. My name is Dana Shergel, and I am a sexual wellness instructor that dives deep into all things kinky. I'm here to show why kinky sexual wellness deserves a rightful spot within the wellness conversation. So let's talk about it. Hey, and welcome back to our regular scheduled programming. As some of you may have noticed, last week, Instagram flagged my account, which is okay. I knew Instagram censorship was going to come for me at some point, but I did what they said and I deleted the five reels that they told me to take down. But in the meantime, what you can do to keep connected to all things kinky, you can either follow my backup account at thepartition.life on Instagram as I test my luck out again, but hopefully me removing the five posts, it will be okay. Or you can keep continuing to follow this podcast. In the next week or so, I will be transitioning maybe to another platform like Twitter or somewhere else that's a little bit more censorship free. So stay tuned to next week as I let you know what I do. But as for today, well, today I'm going to be talking about Esther Perel's book, Mating in Captivity, and the three big takeaways I receive from it. As I said last week, I'm a super big fan of hers, but for those who may not know her, Esther Perel is a psychotherapist who is recognized all over the world for her take on modern day relationships. I agree with others that she truly stands out against many in her field, and I'm excited to share with you my favorite parts of this book and key concepts that resonate with me. So starting with the first point, I want to talk to you about the concept of the third. The shadow of the third is a concept that Esther illustrates in chapter 10, and it goes into how partners are separate from us and that we need to remember that they have their own thoughts, desires, and dreams that started and formed before we even got with them, which in other terms means that those thoughts, desires, and dreams have absolutely nothing to do with us and that we shouldn't take them personally. But most importantly, it means we shouldn't pretend that they aren't there. And this idea and concept can throw people off and might even be upsetting. I know, I know, I know, I know that many of us have been taught that once we are in a relationship that it's us, it's our responsibility, that we should be the sole source of our partner's pleasure. But this is simply not true. This idea of, oh, now that we're together, you can't like X, Y, Z is a common ideology that gets passed around. But this concept is a recipe for disaster. Think about it. If we can't openly talk about our sexual desires to our partner, then who can we talk to them about? Sure, we have our friends, but at some point or another, we want to feel our desires with the partner we have chosen. And let's be real, if we don't have this open communication with our partners, it just creates a breeding ground for resentment or lying to start forming. Nothing good comes out of not being able to talk to your partner. And as Esther puts it, when partners validate each other's interest, then they will be less inclined to search for it elsewhere. And as I was reading this chapter about the third, I couldn't stop thinking that the third could arguably be about inviting BDSM and kink and overall kinky wellness into your life and relationship. I'll take an example from the book. There was a man who was into blondes, so instead of his partner ignoring his desires that have nothing to do with her, she played into it 
And we'd get all dressed up and put on a blonde wig and then would go out and meet somewhere and pretend like they didn't know each other. At one point in the book, it's mentioned that the husband was saying something along the lines of, oh, great, people are going to think I'm having an affair. And the wife's response was something like, that's okay, let them be jealous, which I thought was fucking hilariously awesome because she had such a great attitude towards his wants and needs, which is what we all need to adapt. We need to shift from taking things personally to embracing this sort of stuff in a fun and healthy way. And really, when everyone involved is clear and certain on the rules, boundaries, and limits, when inviting the third, or in my opinion, BDSM and kink activities, that's when couples and people can truly deepen their connections towards each other, let alone themselves. Because as much as we have been led to believe that we should be the sole sexual desires of our partner once we get together, this just isn't how life works. Again, our partners come with desires and wants that have nothing to do with us. And we need to acknowledge and learn to accept this instead of putting our head in the sand. Esther explains that this takes a lot of maturity, which of course it does. Sexual wellness in general takes a high level of maturity. I love her quote about how we can't allow our egos to get in the way of other passions not chosen. Because at the end of the day, your partner chose you. But that shouldn't mean you close the door on their sexual dreams and desires that came before you. The same way that they shouldn't be closing the door on what you would like to do or experiment with. In order to do this, we need to have these mature and sometimes extremely uncomfortable conversations on how to make sure everyone in the relationship is being sexually satisfied as each other evolve and grow. Remember, as Esther mentions, we don't actually own our partners and they don't actually own us even if we play with that idea sometimes. And if you or your partner feel like one of those sexual freedoms or interests or really any sort of freedom or interest is being taken away or suppressed, our subconscious will still continue to seek for it until it gets it. So you better just play into it with your imagination and their imagination so you guys can act out and experience each other's imaginations, desires, and wants together. And I get it. It's not always the best feeling to hear that your partner is into things that are different from you or things that you can't or don't want or can even offer. But that doesn't mean that they don't love or care about you. Remember, people are allowed to appreciate different looks, beauties, and experiences that have nothing to do with you. That's life. Look at it as an opportunity to try new things. But you know, it's kind of funny because when people are single, it seems that we're all about experimenting and trying new things. It's like we have associated being single with being sexually free. And then somewhere along the way, when people get into a relationship, experimenting just isn't brought up the same or done the same. And what seems to end up happening is people get this really spicy sexual rush at the beginning of the relationship, but then over time it fizzles out. And that's because at the beginning of a new relationship, there is a lot of newness between each person. And that newness itself is incredibly sexy and exciting. 
But then after a while, when that newness turns into comfortability, our sex life can take a hit and plateau. But I want you to reject this concept that being in a long-term relationship means that your sex life needs to slow down or even take a hit at all. In fact, I believe the exact opposite. I believe that couples can keep that newness alive as long as they keep putting in the work. And in Esther's words, invite the third in. And yes, I said, keep putting the work in. Don't think our sex lives don't take work because they do. And really, I believe that there's a great power in deepening sexual experiences with someone over and over again. Whether that's in a romantic relationship or a power exchange relationship or any type of, you know, consistent partnership. Because when you continue on a sexual path with the same person again and again, you're able to continue to build upon the previous experience. But this takes time, effort, and consistency. Listen, I know most of us have packed schedule between getting groceries, sleeping, working, making dinner, cleaning the house, doing the laundry, picking up the kids, spending time with family and friends. Our busy life squeezes out our sex life first. Or it puts us in a situation where we're just too fucking tired to even do it at all. But still, our kinky sexual wellness is our responsibility. Which brings me to my second point that I agree with Esther on wholeheartedly. The myth of spontaneity. Sex isn't like the movies where two characters just start getting it on randomly. And everything just happens to work out perfectly and fit in all the right places on the first try. No, life again is not like that. And with our busy lives, sometimes we can feel very mm, unsexy. And that's even if we have time to think about it at all. So this is why it's seriously so, so important to schedule sex. Scheduling sex gives back our power to have it. I agree with Esther that great deep sex needs more than just 10 minutes. Fuck, women can't even get off in that time. You know, maybe alone, sure. But with another person, 10 minutes is still basically our warm-up time. And if we want good, fulfilling sex, then we have to apply effort and a time frame that's more realistic to our needs. So how do we fix that? Well, like I said, by actually scheduling a block of time to make your sex be the sex you actually want to have. And when your sex life or the experiences you want to have are a conscious thought, you gain the ability to better prepare for it. Within BDSM and Kink, we know this as our plan and prep basics, right? I hope you were paying attention to the podcast two weeks ago because when you utilize your plan and prep basics, you can create sex that's tailored to you and your partner, which makes it all that much better and increases the chances of having a more memorable moment. Like, I'm sure I said this two weeks ago, but I have never run into anyone who said, yeah, I'm down for boring, forgettable sex. No, I don't think people plan on that. Plus, planning can create anticipation. I've heard examples of this being compared to booking a reservation at a fancy restaurant for a special event. For instance, when you know you're about to go out and do something fun, you know, you start thinking of what you're going to wear and how you're going to do your hair and like little stuff like this because it's supposed to be fun. We shouldn't be looking at scheduling sex like it's a chore. Scheduling sex should be looked through the lens of something to look forward to. 
And I'm not going to go ahead and say, you know, just plan on having sex. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. I want you to schedule sex that wakes up your imagination. Exercise that skill, people. Seriously, using your imagination to create different scenarios, scenes or plays can and will keep that newness alive within your sexual relationship. Newness needs imagination. They're married to each other. Seriously, if you need some help, go back and listen to episode 84, okay? However, the third takeaway that I want to share with you is how society's emphasis on verbal communication being the elite form of communication is actually hurting us. In chapter three, The Pitfalls of Modern Intimacy, Esther goes into how talk is not the only avenue to closeness and intimacy. And that in general, there was a lot more pressure for a non-talker to change than a person who does a lot of talking, which I certainly agree with. Let's take an example from her book. Esther points out that men typically do not prioritize expressing their feelings through verbal communication. And it's not like she's saying that men shouldn't say how they feel. It's just that verbal communication typically isn't the highest thing on their list. Esther says that even though there's been a lot of aggressive manifestations in male sexuality, she says that it's not sufficiently appreciated and that the erotic realm offers men a restorative experience for their more tender side. And really, I think a lot more people need to appreciate this or at least acknowledge this because as Esther continues, She says that the body is our original mother tongue. And for a lot of men, it remains the only language for closeness that hasn't been spoiled. Men can express love and communication without having to say a word. They tend to say it through their sex, touch, and actions. And personally, I'm someone that even if you did tell me verbally that you loved me and cared for me, you know, over and over and over again, if you never hugged me, held my hand, embraced me physically, or really just gave me any sort of physical connection, I just wouldn't feel it the same. So it's important to use our bodies and actions to say I love you, not just our words. And on a serious note, verbal communication is getting harder and harder for people nowadays anyways. Technology has changed the landscape of how humans communicate so much so That even talking on the phone is causing some people crippling anxiety, which further proves that verbal communication shouldn't be the only thing we look at. And as Esther says, when we privilege speech and underplay the body, we collude in keeping the body confined. Plus, I've said this before, sex is a place where we should encourage to take up as much space as we want. Our bodies shouldn't be made to feel like a prison, but the sad truth is some people do think this way and will do anything to, quote, break free. We have become so disconnected from our body that we don't actually know what to do with it, let alone question our body's true potential. But I'm here to remind you that our bodies are not a prison. They are a playground. If we are scared of our bodies, we need to work through it. We can't run from them or try to hide from them because it's the only vessel we're going to live in. So we need to learn how to love it. But on one example that Esther gives in regards to building intimacy without words that I really liked was 
she literally had a couple lead each other around a room in a type of leash setup so they could try different types of leader and follower dynamics, which is basically BDSM without saying BDSM and kink, right? This exercise and experience was to help the couple with passive cooperative resistance, which increases trust and helps regain intimacy without the need for words. Because sometimes words just don't encapsulate everything we want to say. So why should we be pushing away other forms of communication? By influencing so much pressure on talk intimacy, I agree that we have minimized the importance of nonverbal communication, like doing nice things for each other, making attentive gestures, getting gas for the car, picking up the coffee, making a special dinner, and doing actual things like sharing or creating projects together. And I want to emphasize on doing physical things together because watching a show together is fine every once in a while. But if that's all you do, you need to add something different into the mix to keep that quote newness there. But overall, I absolutely love this book. And I feel that Esther did a great job of delivering her content and message and gives tremendous insight, which is beneficial for everyone. So I think it would be nice to end this episode with a quote from her, which is nurturing eroticism in the home is an act of open defiance. Again, nurturing eroticism in the home is an act of open defiance. I love it because this is something we all need to do. I totally believe that there are a ton of intertwined indoctrinations going on that try their best to keep our eroticism in hibernation or to get us to believe that we don't have an erotic side to begin with. But don't worry, although there's still purity culture out there and that wants you to believe that, they can't actually remove our eroticism from us. It's built within us. And if we've lost touch, then it's our responsibility to nurture it back in healthy and consenting ways. But that's it for me and my three big takeaways from Esther Perel's book, Mating in Captivity. I'm going to leave the Amazon link in the bio in case you want to check out the book for yourself, which I highly encourage. But be sure to listen to Monday's episode as I bring on the lovely Deb and Brian, the owners and creators of Pleasure Pod, which is an all-natural lubricant. Deb and Brian are amazing people who will share their story of how when all other lubes failed, they took matters into their own hands. And during this journey, they found out some pretty crazy stuff that we all need to take notice and care about when it comes to choosing lubes for ourselves. But that's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. And as always, stay kinky.